So how's everybody today? <clears throat> so you guys want to hear a sad story? I'll tell you a sad story. <laughs> this morning, I forgot my guitar. That ever happened to anybody? Forgot my guitar. I come down to church and uh, almost, almost here. And I said, oh, goodness, I forgot my guitar. So I turned around and went and got it. And on the way back, something happened to me. It hasn't happened in a year. How do you guys know? <laughs> do you guys see me sitting there? Once again, you know, we're just making some small talk, me and the officer. How's your day? Good, good, good. Where are you going? Church? <laughs> kind of early for you to be going to church, isn't it? Well, I'm supposed to be there first. <laughs> so he had mercy on me. He said to me, he come up and he said, well, let me, do you know why I pulled you over? Is that the dumbest question ever? <laughs> Maybe it's just me. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I, I'm sure I was speeding. He goes, well, is there any reason why you're not wearing your seatbelt? I said, yeah, because I want a ticket for that too. <laughs> we had a great time. <laughs> He's nice enough just to give me a ticket for the seatbelt though. That's all right, right? <laughs> uh, oh. The, the moral of the story is don't forget your guitar. <laughs> or don't speed, it depends. What did I do? You think I can read that from there? Does it say Sandy in the beginning? Is it today? You want me to make sure everybody knows? Sandy, will you stand up? Come on. It's Sandy's 70th birthday was when? Friday? Friday. Happy birthday. I just want you to know that was all Kathy's idea. It didn't have nothing to do with me. So Monday morning when you come to work, don't be mad. If you have your Bibles with you, open up to Matthew chapter 3, and we're going to continue to go through the Gospel of Matthew as we work our way to the end of the book. Matthew chapter 3 begins with this, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, in those days, between chapter 2 and chapter 3, I don't know if you noticed it, but about 30 years passed, that's how quick time flies sometimes. 30 years passed, and we find ourselves with John the Baptist. But let's, let's talk a little bit about John and where he got his start. Turn with me to Luke chapter 1. In Luke chapter 1, uh, about verse 5, it says this. Now, there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judah, a certain priest named Zacharias, of the division of Abijah, his wife was the daughter of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all his commandments and ordinances of the Lord. They were blameless. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were well advanced in years. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense, 
when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing right beside the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. The angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Wow, what an exciting announcement for your child. Now, sometimes we fathers have dreams for our kids. Sometimes we have their whole life planned out before they live any days at all. We know where they're going to go to college, what they're going to study, you know, whether they're going to be a doctor or lawyer or some such thing. We have all these plans for... It was no different for Zacharias, was it? Zacharias was a priest, you know, he, he, he doesn't initially believe what the angel has to say, so he goes mute until the, till the baby is born. And when the baby is born... Everybody was going to name him Zacharias, but the angel said to call his name John. So Zacharias' wife, Elizabeth, she said, no, we're going to call him John. And they're like, oh, you don't have any John in your family. Why would you call him John? So they went to the father, Zacharias, what are you going to call the baby? And Zacharias wrote down John. And as soon as he wrote his name, his tongue was loosed and he could speak praises to the Lord. What plans he had for his son. He was a priest. Surely he's going to follow in the priesthood, right? Surely he's going, to, he's going to come up through the priesthood. Maybe he'll be high priest one day. He's going to be the one. He's going to be the, the guy who's going to point out the Messiah, the Mashiach Nagid. He's going, to, he's going to declare him to him. What a proud day it was. When John came to his father, dressed in his very finest camel skin Jacket with a couple of locusts sticking out of his mouth, spoonful of honey in one pocket. Proud day for dad. John, what are you doing? Prepare the way of the Lord. I'm going to prepare the way of the Lord. So John went to the desert. That means, folks, what that means is John could never get along with the priests. If he could have got along with the priest, he would have been there. But, you know, John had this thing. This thing John had with the Holy Spirit since he had been in his mother's womb was a willingness to tell the truth. To say to people, you need to repent. You're not okay. Jesus later on will call the same people who John says needs to repent. Jesus will call them whitewashed tombs. Why? Because they look so good on the outside. Look all pretty and nice. They got just the right clothes, just the right haircut. But inside, they're full of dead men's bones. 
Just a bunch of garbage inside their life. Outside, we can make everything look good, can't we? But inside, he was full of of all these other things. So John, the Holy Spirit led him to take a different path. And he went out into the desert. I have been where John went. It is desert. There's the Jordan River coming down through the midst of the desert, right just above the Dead Sea. Actually, right inside of a city maybe you're familiar with called Jericho. He went to a place called Bethbara, which means the house of the crossing. It's the place where Joshua first brought the children of Israel into the promised land. And now there's John with his locusts and honey, his best camel skin jacket, and he's there preaching the message God put on his heart. Repent. Repent. When we think about that concept, when we think about that word repent, as we consider it, listen, it's not a word that says be sorry for what you've done. That's not what repent means. Repent doesn't mean to be sorry. Repent doesn't mean to, to, to try to change in order to escape the judgment that's coming. Repent means to change your mind. It means to say, I agree with what God's word says. And it's sin. One of my favorite things about Celebrate Recovery, the, the ministry that we have here on Saturday nights, is the way sinners define themselves. Because as far as I know, everybody in here is one of those. And this is how they would define themselves. Hi, my name's Jackie. I'm a believer, grateful believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I struggle with whatever. I'm defined by the fact that I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not defined by my sin. My definition comes by the one in whom I placed my faith. If your faith and trust is in alcohol, then you should define yourself as an alcoholic. But if your faith and trust is in Jesus Christ, you should define yourself as a grateful believer in the Lord Jesus Christ who struggles. And that is the difference. When I've turned my eyes from that desire and I've put my eyes upon the Lord Jesus and I make Him my focus... When I change my mind, I will change my direction. And I'll move toward Him. If I am not moving toward Jesus Christ, I am in need of repentance. I am in need of repentance. John understood. He was called to prepare the way of the Messiah. So what did he need to do? Build better roads? Make them smoother? Make everything easier for people to walk? No. He went to the desert. To Beth Bar, the place where it all began. Where the children of Israel first entered the land. And he said, guys, something new is coming and you need to repent and make your heart ready. You need to acknowledge the fact that you are a sinner. That you're lost. Well, that's a hard concept for a Jew, right? Because a Jew is saved because he was a Jew. I'm saved because I'm Jewish. I'm part of the family. I was born a Jew, so I'm saved. I'm God's favorite. 
But the scripture never declared that. Where did the righteousness of Abraham come from? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted unto him as righteousness. He was made right before God. He had a requirement. God had a requirement. Abraham, you need to be righteous. But Abraham could not produce that righteousness, so he put his faith in the Lord. And in that faith, God established him and made him right. Gave him a right relationship with the Lord. The scripture goes on to tell us in Matthew chapter 3 verse 2, he, this is what he said. This is his message. And he went saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. Repent is always the first word of the gospel. It's always the first word of what God wants to do in our lives. Repent is the first word John the Baptist said. Repent was the first word of Jesus' gospel, to repent. Repent was the first word of the preaching ministry of the twelve when they were sent out. Repent was the first word in the preaching instructions Jesus gave to his disciples when they were to go into all the world and make disciples, leading men into repentance. Repentance was the first word of exhortation from Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2. And repent was the first word from the Apostle Paul. So we need to understand. Every single revival, even the one here that's beginning here with John the Baptist, begins with this concept, repentance. Repentance. That I agree with what God's word declares. And that I say, you are right. And I want to be defined by my relationship with you, not by my sin. I want to be defined by the fact that I trust you more than I love whatever this thing is. That you are preeminent. Deuteronomy chapter 6, God says, here's my one rule. This is what I want from you all. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. To love God. To love God. Then John later on will tell us, this is how we love God. We keep his commandments. And his commandments aren't burdensome because we love God. We love him. Now when we look at that, what he's talking about is we make the primary direction of our life towards the Lord. Doesn't mean we never fail. Doesn't mean we never struggle. Doesn't mean we, ever, we never mess up. It means that's our primary direction. And when we stumble, when we fall, when we fail, we repent. Lord, you're right. This is sin. And I need to turn my back on this sin and come towards you. And as I do that, I am loving the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I love him as I make him my primary focus. And this is the message of John the Baptist. Repent. Prepare your heart for what God wants to do in your life. Has the message changed today? Repent. Put your heart in God's hands because our heart is deceitful and wicked and there's no cure for it. So God wants to give us a new heart. 
He wants to replace the old one and give us a new one that we might follow after Him. We want to take that direction which God is giving us and repent. I got a phone call from my oldest son. That's how I became aware of the fact that Jesus was coming back yesterday. My son called and he said, Dad, Dad, did you hear? People are selling their houses and people are doing all kind of crazy things because this guy somehow looked at a Mayan calendar and figured out when Jesus is coming back. You know, I never thought of that. All this while, I've just been teaching out the Bible. I should have got a Mayan calendar. Because if I had a Mayan calendar, I wouldn't realize that the scripture lays out for us that no man will know the day or the hour. How many guys have made the mistake? Over and over and over. Why? Because we're looking for a connection with God in all these other places. And where is that connection truly found? In His Word. Not in the Mayan calendar. In His Word. What His Word declares to us. What God's Word says to us. And making a decision that says, I love the Lord. Well, we don't really need to listen to the words outdated. There's all kind of rules in here that we shouldn't have to abide by anymore. There's lots of people that want to tell you that. It's outdated. I mean, come on. Nobody gets married anymore. Just live together. You're married in God's eyes. Well, that's not what the Word says. The Word says to get married in God's eyes. To make a promise, a covenant before the Lord God. And say, it's me and you till the wheels fall off. That's a Jackie paraphrase. It's you and me before God till death do us part forever. But we want to throw out the word. We don't have to listen to that, right? Because that was a long time ago. And today nobody does that. What would John the Baptist's message be? Repent. It's not okay. That's sin. And making your life based on a practice of sin separates you from what God wants to accomplish in your life. Because you are steeped in sin and you have not repented. And said, you know what God, you're right. Your word is right. This is sin. Forgive me. Let me be defined by my relationship to you. Rather than being defined by my sin. We need to make that choice. Because when we do... We are responding to the love of God for me. You remember what, what, what it was that Jesus did for me? He left the glory of heaven. Because to him, heaven is missing something. And it's just not heaven without you. So he came. He left it all. He set aside in the great kenosis. He set aside his rights as Almighty God, and placed himself in obedience under two parents that he created. He placed himself underneath the government that he knew was going to be responsible for taking his life. But he did all of that because he loves you so much. He did everything so that your relationship with Him could be solid. And all we need to do in return. 
prepare our hearts for what God wants to do in us and repent. You're right, God. It's sin. I'm wrong. And I'm no longer going to make this sin more important to me than you. You, Lord, are going to be the most important thing to me. When verse 3, the scripture goes on to tell us, This is he, Matthew writes, who was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Prepare the way of the Lord. Really? Who is he preparing the way for? Everybody knows, right? He's about to show up in a couple of verses. What's his name? Jesus. Prepare the way of the Lord. Capital L-O-R-D. Yahweh. Prepare the way of the Yahweh. The very name of God. Absolute God. Prepare the way for absolute God. Jesus Christ is the one for whom he prepared the way. He even said, John says, this is the one that I came to prepare the way for. That makes Jesus who? God. Prepare the way of the Yahweh. Y-H-V-H. The impronounceable name of God. No question. Is Jesus God? Yes, He is. Over and over and over again in the Scriptures. We can, it takes us 2,000 years to mess that up. But the Jews got it. They wanted to stone Him for it. Right in the beginning. Right here, Matthew chapter 3. He's declaring, prepare the way of the Lord. Yahweh, Jesus Christ, is Almighty God, it applies to him. So the scripture says in John or in Matthew chapter 4, now John, Matthew chapter 3, try it again. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Anybody want to come over for a barbecue later? When I first got to Idaho, I ate locusts. I did. Every time I got on my motorcycle and come down through the cornfields. The funny thing is, when I left California, I left the windshield. I said, this is stupid. I don't want this. I never use this dumb windshield. So I give this dumb windshield away. And I got to Idaho, and I understand what it was like for John. I have bugs in my teeth. And one of them was this big old meaty grasshopper. Mm-mm. Maybe honey makes it better. I don't know. Of course, eating a grasshopper at 50 miles an hour is not so great either. Kind of hurts your lips as he's going by. But John here is on a fine diet. Later on, I'll, I'll, I'm going to write a book. The Diet of John the Baptist. Sell a billion books. Eat locusts and honey. And you too can be a wild man. John the Baptist. But here's the picture that John is painting for us. In the book of 1 Kings, we see a very similar description of a man, a prophet, that Malachi said would come before Messiah. His name was Elijah. Elijah. Just like John. John looked just like Elijah. In fact, the angel said way back in Luke, right? He's come in the spirit and the power of Elijah. What we see in John the Baptist, guys, is the last Old Testament 
prophet. For 400 years, God was silent. And at the end of 400 years, what was his message? Repent. Repent. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew uses that term uh, synonymously, together, all the time. He goes on to tell us, Then Jerusalem and Judea and all the region around the Jordan went out to him. This is how revival works, man. People begin to realize, you know, it's true. When I dedicate my life to the Lord, when I, when I turn from all this sin, I find that thing in my life that's been missing. And so they came to him in the wilderness. They left Jerusalem, the city of peace. They left Bethlehem, the, the house of bread. They left all the surrounding areas of Judea and they came to hear a guy dressed in camel skin with locusts sticking out his mouth and a spoonful of honey in his pocket. There was nothing that, that you looked at John the Baptist and said, man, this guy, good looking guy, you know, I want to come hear him. Why is that? Because the Lord wants us to realize where's the message coming from? It comes from him. Is God speaking through his prophet. And what occurred? All these guys are coming and they're hearing this message. This message from John that says, repent. Change your direction. Get a fresh start. Open your heart up to the Lord. To receive what it is that God wants to do in your life. They came to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan. Confessing their sins. Once a year... On Yom Kippur, the nation of Israel would confess their national sins. And they would receive forgiveness on the Day of Atonement. But here, this is different. They're confessing their individual sins. They're coming to John, Jewish people, who up until this point believed that we're okay just because we're born a Jew. Just like some people think I'm okay because I go to church on Sunday. They think, oh, I'm okay, everything's good. I fulfill my requirement. This is the requirement. I fulfilled my requirement, born a Jew, I go to the temple, I visit synagogue, I do the feasts. I'm good, I'm solid. But then John said, hey, you guys are wretched sinners. They didn't understand what they were. Every time I think about that, it reminds me of the church, Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3, but the only point I want to make is the church of Laodicea, who wasn't doing so good, thought they were doing great. They said, we're rich, we're wealthy, and we don't need anything. We got it all. This is as much as I could ever hope for. This is it. I'm there. The Jew felt that way. This is all I need, man. I'm here. I'm born into it, Right? I'm good. And then John the Baptist said, man, your hearts are twisted. You're full of sin. You need to repent. Jews were not baptized. Proselytes were baptized. Jews went through a mikvahot. A mikvahot is a, is a ritual bath. They would walk down steps on one side, walk up steps on the other. But once they were a Jew, they never again totally immersed themselves underwater. That was something for someone who was a proselyte or someone who was unclean. And by golly, we're clean. We're Jews. Until John. John, of whom Jesus said, of 
those born of women, he is the greatest. The greatest, greatest prophet. And he went to this people who believed everything they had was okay and they're good enough and it was all good enough. And he came to them and he said, you need to repent. And so they began to flock to him. Who flocked to him? The publicans, the sinners, the prostitutes, the drug addicts, the alcoholics, the people who could look at their lives and say, man, you're right, I'm in in sin and I don't want to be defined by my sin anymore. And they came to John. Now, he's called John the Baptist, the baptizer. They give him that title because nobody else was doing it. Nobody else. And all of a sudden, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they show up to synagogue and the synagogue and the church is empty. Where's everybody at? So they ask somebody, where'd everybody go? They went down to hear this crazy guy eating locusts and honey out in the desert and he's baptizing them. He's doing what? Why would he baptize them? They're all good Jewish people. They're okay. Abraham's going to make sure that they're all saved. They actually believe that Abraham guarded the gates of hell. And if a good Jewish person died and he happened to be in the wrong line, Abraham would grab him and pull him out. They think everything's good. Everything's all right. It says in verse 7, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees Coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the wrath to come? Brood of vipers. By the way, brood of vipers is not a good thing to be called. Brood of vipers is ascribing to them who their father is. Jesus said it too, right? He uses the exact same phrase. He also goes far enough, Jesus goes far enough to tell him, you are of your father, the devil, for he is a liar and a murderer from the beginning. When they come walking, John recognizes them. What does he recognize about them? He sees these guys, brood of vipers. They're not real. They're coming to see what all these people are doing, coming to see John. And maybe they even want to stand in line. You know, they don't want to say, we need to repent because we're sinners. They're saying, no, come on, I'm a Pharisee. You know how I become a Pharisee? I memorize the whole Bible. I know it all. I don't even have to open it. I can read it just in my mind. I follow the law implicitly. I even follow more than just the law, the teachings of the rabbis. In fact, I believe that the teachings of the rabbis, in many cases, supersede the word of God. And so I put my hope and faith in them. I'm blameless. I made the rules and I know how to keep them. I'm a Pharisee. I don't need, I don't need repent. Repent. That would be admitting I'm a sinner. That would be admitting I'm unclean. John sees them coming. Brood of vipers, who, who warned you to flee the wrath that is to come? The wrath that is to come. So he says to them in verse 8, Therefore, bear fruit worthy of repentance. 
And do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. He already knew what they were thinking. Well, come on, we're children of Abraham. And so we're okay. We make it in based on Abraham's relationship with God. Does God have grandkids? No. We make it in based on my relationship with God. That's why Abraham becomes the father, the book of Hebrews tells us, of all those who are of faith. Who by faith come to Jesus Christ and receive that gift of of righteousness, forgiveness that he offers. Who by faith take that which is given to them by God. Brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath? Well, what is the wrath? It's the wrath of God. Folks, in three years, you're going to see the wrath of God poured out upon sin. Only sin prior to that moment bore the name Jesus Christ. When Jesus hung on the cross, it's not the beatings. When he was in the garden of Gethsemane, when he was in Gethsemane, and and he's sweating great drops of blood, it's not the beating he's about to take. It's not the fact that they're going to nail him to the cross. It's not the fact that that all these horrible things are going to occur. It is the fact that he is about to become sin. The most righteous and holy being is going to become sin and then die. He's going to take, he lay down his rights to take our wrongs. He's going to become sin and bear the judgment of God upon sin. That's why when I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, by faith, accepting what he's giving, I put on his righteousness. For he knew no sin, but he became my sin. And he died, he paid the price. Now when I stand before God, Jesus says, I paid that price, Dad. I paid his price by faith. He put his trust in me. He asked me. He said, I repent. I agree with you, Lord. I'm a sinner. And I need salvation. And so I place upon him my robe of righteousness that he cannot create in himself. By faith. That's what it is to flee the wrath that is to come. You want to know what it's all about? Read the end of the book of Revelation and we come to the great white throne judgment. At the great white throne judgment, nobody standing at the great white throne judgment is deemed righteous. Because they didn't flee the wrath that is to come. Rather, they accepted that wrath upon themselves. And how long will it take for them to pay? Forever. They are destined to have what they always wanted. The absence of God for all eternity. And at the same time, the absence of every good thing. Because every good thing comes down from our Father in heaven. 
That's the destiny of those who don't flee the wrath that is to come. Folks, there will be a judgment day. There will be a judgment day for all the knuckleheads in the world, myself included. My judgment day occurred 2,000 years ago on a wooden cross in Judea when Jesus Christ took my sin upon himself and paid my price. And when I came to understand what he had done for me, I acknowledge in the word of God that I am a sinner. But I'm not going to be defined by my sin. I choose to be defined by my relationship and trust in Jesus Christ. And he made me clean. Today, in God's eyes, I am clean. But that's the only place. I am still on this side of eternity a sinner saved by grace. Saved by grace through that relationship that I have with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that wrath is fair. And that wrath is well deserved. And that wrath is being stored up in great bowls in heaven to be poured out upon this earth. It will occur. God's word declares it. That day will come. And unlike this last weekend when we, we, I don't know where we find the, anyways, people who make dumb, dumb statements that are in direct opposition to God's word, God's word declares it will happen. Jesus will return. I don't care how many people say, well, all these people say he never shows up. The funny thing is, that's what Peter said people would say. People said in the last days, scoffers will come. And they'll, they'll look around at all these things and they'll say, Oh, where is his coming? You've been saying that since the fathers fell asleep and we're still here. But Peter goes on to say, The Lord's not slack concerning his promise. He is long-suffering, desiring that no one would perish, but that all would, by repentance, come to everlasting life. So he waits. Thank God he waited for me. But his declaration to me then, live every day like this is a day you're going to see me and you'll never be disappointed. Live every day like this is the day you're going to see the Lord. And you will not be disappointed. Because you'll be about your father's business. You'll be doing what God is calling you to do. Well, these fellows, they come walking up to John, and John, he lets them have it. He lets them have it. Who warns you to flee? Then bear fruit worthy of repentance. Guys, repentance is not just saying, I'm sorry. It doesn't doesn't do anything. Repentance is... Change your direction. For example, there's this fella, and he says to me, calls me from New York City, and he says, Jackie, I'm in New York City, but I want to come to, to, to L.A. I says, well, here's all, all you got to do to get to L.A. from New York is to get on this plane and fly down here to L.A., and you'll be in L.A. 
All right, great. I'll, I'll, I'll be there. And he hangs up the phone and he doesn't get on the plane. He doesn't go to L.A. Did he ever leave New York? No. It's the same way a person that comes with lip service and says, Well, I repent, I repent, but they never left New York. They never left the old life. They never left the past. They never left all the garbage they were wallowing in. They're still in the pig pen like the prodigal son. The prodigal son, what, what, what brought him out of that was when he got up and said, I need to go to my father's house. And he repented, he changed his direction, and he walked toward the father. And he found salvation. Repentance is not just saying the words, I'm sorry, or I'm sorry I got caught, but actually acknowledging the truth. Jesus Christ declares, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that seeks after a God, not one. So John the Baptist tells these guys in verse 10, even now the axe is laid to the root of the tree. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. There is judgment for sin coming. It will happen. But you don't have to face that judgment. All you have to do is acknowledge your sin. Repent. Receive the free gift of salvation from our Lord Jesus Christ. And you will be saved. That we confess with our mouth, the Lord Jesus, and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. He says in verse 11, I indeed baptize you with water into repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Jesus came to baptize in the Holy Spirit, and on the day of Pentecost that occurred, right? We see Jesus breathing in John chapter 20 upon the disciples and saying to them, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit came within them. But we see the epi, the overflowing, the baptism, if you will, the Holy Spirit occurring on the day of Pentecost. And that from that time forward, Ephesians chapter 5 declares for you and I to be being filled, overflowing, the epi of the Holy Spirit, to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Submit ourselves to Him and allow the Spirit to work and move through us. Jesus came to do that. John came with a baptism of repentance. Prepare your heart, you're a sinner. Jesus came to give us the power to walk away from our sin. By faith, receiving that gift and walking forward in what He has called us to do. But He also comes to baptize with fire. What's that? It's judgment. Revelation chapter 19, when Jesus returns to this earth at the end of the tribulation period, he has eyes with a flame of fire. He has come for judgment. It's judgment day. All who reject the free gift stand at the wrath of sin on their own before God without the covering of of Jesus Christ. He comes to baptize with the Holy Spirit. Empower you to live the life God wants you to live. And he comes for judgment. But when Moses stood before the people and he gave them the law. He says I put before you in the valley of decision. Life and death. Your choice. Choose life. 
The same thing that Jesus Christ has come to do. He says his winnowing fan is in his hand and he has thoroughly cleaned out his threshing floor and gathered his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Unquenchable fire. The wheat and the chaff, they come together. How do we separate them? He takes that winnowing fan and he throws it up in the air and the wheat falls down and the chaff blows away. And the chaff he burns. God knows how to separate the godly from the ungodly. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. And when I call them, they come. And those who are not my sheep, they won't come. Because while they may look religious and while they may look great on the outside, on the inside, they lack repentance. They lack the willingness to present themselves before Almighty God. Then Jesus, in verse 13, Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And you are coming to me, Jesus, the one in whom there is no sin. So why is he coming to be baptized? What's he coming for? What's the purpose? He comes to Beth Bar, the place where it all began. He meets John in that place. In the Greek, it means John kept trying to stop him. No, 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 no. I'm not going to baptize you. John knows who he is. They're cousins for crying out loud. And John's been filled with the Holy Spirit since his mother's womb. He recognizes who Jesus is. No, no, I, I'm not going to baptize you. Baptize me. You baptize me. I'm a sinner. Even John the Baptist recognizes that he's a sinner when he stands before the Holy One, Jesus Christ. But Jesus said to him, "Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting to for us." To fulfill all righteousness. And he allowed him. I love the fact that Jesus was okay with being misunderstood. In his teachings. People didn't always understand what he was doing. Permit it now. They will fulfill all righteousness. Isaiah chapter 53 tells us that he would be numbered with the transgressors. So he was baptized with them. The word baptized means to be identified or immersed into. So he became identified with or immersed into sinners, transgressors. He was going to be numbered with them because he's going to bear their sin. And he's picturing for us what he's going to do, right? In the baptism, when he goes beneath the water, what does it say? He's going to die. But when he comes up, he's going to rise again. We still see that in baptism today, don't we? Dead to the old, alive to the new. Jesus is going to pay the price for sin. He's going to die for sin. He's going to remove that sin from us. He's being identified with sinners in this place. And nobody understands everything that he's doing. But he's okay with that. I'm going to fulfill the righteousness. I'm going to do what I've come to do. So when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were open to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him, the spirit of God. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The Trinity all together, 
All three, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. From this moment, Jesus Christ is empowered by the Holy Spirit to accomplish his mission. Philippians chapter 2 tells us that he did not come in his own power, but he came in the power of the Holy Spirit to show you and I what is possible when a person believes God. What is possible when a person is totally given over to the Holy Spirit? What is possible when someone in every aspect of their life is focused on loving God and loving people? That's what Jesus shows us. And as he comes up, John, the scripture tells us in the book of John, sees the Holy Spirit descend upon him and stay. And the Lord had told John, the one on whom you see the Holy Spirit descend and remain, he's the one. He's the one. John knows this is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. What does that mean? What does that mean? What did they do to the Lamb? They sacrificed Him. The Lamb died. He was going to die for the sins of the world. We come here to the end of chapter 3 and we recognize this beautiful moment in which Jesus begins his ministry. Here we go. We're going to start. But before we start, repent. Acknowledge your sin. Folks, we can't have a relationship with God without it. But also know this. You're not defined by your sin. You're defined by the Lord Jesus Christ. He makes you right. He makes you right. I must acknowledge, I must repent and come before Him. And then I'm ready for everything that God wants to do. For whatever God wants to do in your life, in my life, where He wants to guide, where He wants to lead. But it all hinges on repentance. Not just with my lips, but with my heart, right? For these people draw near to me with their lips, God would say, but their heart, that's far from me. They don't really agree. They don't really think this is sin. They think it's okay. God says, repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. It's ready. It's going to be passing through your midst. Today, the kingdom of God is at hand. Any moment, Jesus Christ can call his people home. Any moment. He's God, not me. My theology doesn't have to be square. God is God. I'll let God be God. He can call me anytime. Am I ready? Am I committed? Am I submitted? Am I loving God the way God loved me? He left everything for me. What am I holding on to that I won't let go of? What am I clinging to and saying, this is the end all beat all. And I just won't let this go. Well, then you're just like a spider monkey. 
Really? Yeah, you know how they catch them, right? Put a bunch of pretty little marbles in a cage. Little bitty cage that's staked to the ground. The spider monkey says, ooh, pretty, pretty rocks, pretty rocks. But he can only stick his hand in if he puts it sideways. Then he grabs a handful of rocks. And the hunter comes with a big club. And the spider monkey jumps up and down and yells and screams, but he won't let go of the dumb rocks. And he ends up on somebody's table. What are you holding on to? What's so important to you that you're going to keep your hand in the cage and let the devil come thump you on the head? Let go. Repent. Come before the Lord and experience the love of God. Amen. Right? For love covers a multitude of sin. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you for this opportunity that we have, God, to come before you. Thank you for the chance to, Lord, just focus on you. Lord, to realize that you were willing to leave everything, everything for the opportunity to have a relationship with us. I pray, God, if there's any of us here today that are holding on we got our hand in that cage we're holding on to this sin and we're just not willing to let it go we're not willing to acknowledge this is wrong this is dumb god by your holy spirit move among us call us to let it go acknowledge before you god that this is sin and prepare the way of the lord within our hearts We don't want to come before you half committed, a quarter committed, a little committed. We want to come before you totally committed. Everything that is within us. God, I just want to respond. I, I know that in myself, I can't do anything. But all you're calling me to do is to agree with you. I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. I need you, Lord Jesus, for without you I can do nothing. But with you, I can do all things. I'm not okay on my own. I need all of you. Lord, I pray that we would just come before you, as, even as we, we close in a, in a song today. I just pray, Lord, that you would move in people's hearts that are holding on to them rocks. And I pray, God, that you encourage them. Repent. Let go of that sin. Agree that God is right. Acknowledge that you need him. And then just... Watch him move. Watch him move in a mighty way in your life. God, I pray for everyone here. I pray that we would all choose to be defined by our relationship with you and not by that thing we think we want to do.
God, we pray that you be glorified in this place as we lift it up to you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.